I have a title for this evening's uh, talk, but I can't remember what it was. Do you remember? It's find both. That's, that's true. That's what it is. Find, that's the first word. Both, that's the next word. At, that's the third word. Once, that's the fourth word. Find both at once. What? What am, what am I saying here? What am I talking about? If you take the basic both, this and everything else, subject, object, find both of them at the same time. You will have great difficulty doing that unless there's a strong awareness practice because the tendency to get locked down in conceptual mind is like uh, Velcro. It just, we, we start to do anything, we immediately, the, the conceptual mind wants to come right in and say, oh, I'll help you with that. Let me help with that awareness situation. It's like the cloud trying to help the sky be a sky. Just a metaphor. Not really true at all. So find, when you see anything, when you see objects, find, and you see, you have your sense of self, which tends to alternate, alternate. Find them both at one time. See if you can find the sense of me and everything else. It can be another person. It can be, it can be the sky. It could be a wall, a light bulb. It could be anything. It could be a, a a thought pattern. It could be an emotion. Anything that is a phenomena. Find that and then find, look at who you are. The me feeling, the I, I, the personal pronoun will help you locate that. But it's before the personal pronoun. Find that and find whatever it is you're observing and find them at the same time. That's the end of the talk. <laughs> and so, of course, what I'm being, <clears throat> excuse me, what I'm being supported by here is a, not only the teachings in general, but specifically the teachings of uh, the mind-only school or uh, Vijnanabhada, um, Yogacara is the other uh, more well-known uh, word for the school mind-only. And it's basically that uh, the subject and the object are not separate, that they are both perception only. And this is a, it's a very simple concept. You can think about it. You can think, you might think there's something to that. You might think it's too vague or it's too whatever, lots of twos, but, uh, and I, uh, you have, do you have, uh, um, was it verse 27 of that? Do you have it memorized? There's two that go together. One that's bullet is as long as consciousness is not situated in this only, the twofold grasping will not cease to operate. Okay. And then it says, and, and even that is just to say it, because if you think that that's it, that's yeah, not it. That's not it. So you can't, you can't think this. So she's uh, the 30 verses of Vasubandhu, the 4th century uh, teacher of uh, Yogacara. Uh, you should read the 30 verses. You can get a translation by Stefan Anneker. Also, there's another translation that we have available uh, that we also study by, uh, was it Wutai Mountain? We don't know who wrote that originally. So as long as, there's, uh, as, long as uh, consciousness is not situated in perception only, the twofold grasping. In other words, grasping at a self who sees the other, or, gra or grasping an other who is being observed or seen by a self. It's just a simple metaphor. It's just it's just a knee-jerk kind of thing. We just immediately we immediately imagine or impute that there's this and that, and it's and, and, and it's difficult because everywhere the world, uh, the phenomenal world, is kind of yelling this at us that, that there is a this, there is a night, there is a day. There is an inside, there is an outside. But what we don't see is that as any one of those things gets its meaning, it gets its very validity, if you want to call it that, from the other. You can have, as they say, one, one without the other. <clears throat> and so my way of saying it is to 
uh, what was that title again? Yeah, find both at once. So actually find, you might have to start by finding the observer. Uh, the the, the uh, um, Indian, uh, East Indian teacher back in the first part of the last century, Jiddu Krishnamurti uh, wrote, uh, had a book uh, called, uh, or uh, I don't know if it was the title of the book, but it was uh, uh, the observer, the statement, the observer is the observed. The observer is what is being observed. Another way of saying perception only. I don't know if he studied any Yogacara teachings, but it doesn't matter. A anyone who is awakened or clear on what this is, is probably, uh, unless they uh, have a, an extensive philosophy that thinks there's such a thing as correct and incorrect, then they're probably going to um, express this in one way or another, maybe in a more uh, complete and uh, accessible way than what I'm doing here. I'm not just copying the teachings by saying, translating, I'm not just reading books about this, I'm, I'm telling you what I'm looking at, and I'm saying that it's available to you this moment, right this minute, right now. There isn't any, any time other than now. You notice that? Has anybody ever pointed that out to you? The two thens, back then and later on then, those are concepts. And we use them to situate ourselves on a linear uh, situation, which even um, modern uh, uh, physics says is unreal. Not that we need physicists to tell us that. What's his name, Michio Kaku? That's one of the guys that keeps getting on and lecturing us about the nature of reality. Those Japanese guys, I'm telling you. Their names are hard to pronounce. So I can continue to chatter away here, but I'm also open to any questions. How can I? What happens when you find both at once? You don't see anything. I'm not saying that the eye isn't, the eye isn't, uh, uh, the nerve endings there aren't picking up the reflection of light hitting something and coming in. I'm not saying that that isn't happening. I'm just saying you don't see anything because nothing is separate from anything else. In order to see something, you have to have a viewer and something viewed. And if you don't see that, then it's perception only. So this teaching, if you try to point to it directly, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like His Holiness, uh, the 16th Karmapa, uh, the head of the Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism, until he passed away in 1981, said on his deathbed, nothing happens. And that's an ultimate teaching. And the ego mind says, that's not true. Things are happening all the time. You just said that. That's happening. But what is being pointed there is perception only. And if, if you don't see that, if we don't see that, if, if we don't understand that, we'll continue to go on the round of birth and death, birth and death, on the rounds of samsara, around and around, night and day, light and dark, good and bad, enlightened and deluded. Yes, sir. If no nothing happens, then what is cause and effect? It's nothing happening if you see it, if you see what it is. It's not separate. If you think this causes that, then that's delusion. If you think cause and effect are not separate, then they're not separate, then that's awakening. But it has to be seen as it is. It can't be seen like uh, the, the part of the uh, Vasubandhu's uh, 30 verses, that uh, the last part that you said. Can you recite that again? You should say something kind of, something that makes something stop in front of it isn't situated in this only. Conceptual idea about it isn't it. The one before that? No, that one. The conceptual idea, we have a conceptual idea of it. And the way you're asking the question, don't scowl at me. <laughs> oh, you're thinking, I see. I was. You're concentrating. It looked like a scowl. Yeah. Okay, I mis <laughs> misunderstood. So I projected on you, didn't I? 
And what, what did I project? My idea about what was in front of me. We're doing that all the time. It just isn't quite as interesting as that one. <laughs> it's like just a very subtle form of something else is over there and it's doing something else. It's something else. And I either need to get some, get rid of some, or I need to control it. It's just, it's just we're, we're, we're contaminated with uh, success and failure with the eight worldly dharmas. Uh, and we could go on and name those if it wouldn't be too boring. Anybody want to name the eight worldly dharmas? Especially one of the monks that's in here should know those. Okay, team up, you mean? Yeah, we can team up and do it. I'll do success and failure. Pleasure and pain, success and failure. You need four more. Grave and blame. That's a good one, yeah. Fame. Huh? Fame and... Fame and disgrace. Whatever, disgrace. But you can, you can go on and on. You could also say Buddhas and sentient beings. You could say that we tend to think that there are some who are Buddhas and some who are just ordinary folk, if we happen to be studying Buddhism. So we're always separating out. We're always finding an enemy. And it's not that there isn't someone, as you've heard me say this many times, it's not that there isn't someone there who is relatively confused or mistaken or uh, being uh, aggressive or hurting someone or causing wars or something. It isn't that that, that isn't happening. It's just, it's, it is dependently arisen and there's no solid being anywhere. So when we blame, when we lock people up, not that we shouldn't take someone who's spinning around and crazy and has, uh, has uh, you know, sharp objects in their hands, we shouldn't put them aside, of course. It's only sane to take care of an unruly child. But to, to actually punish them is, uh, is a, re a really intense and, and uh, uh, sad misunderstanding of, of how things are working. It's more about being angry about someone doing something that they shouldn't be doing and wanting to control them, stop them, rather than work with them what where they're at. If you work with someone where they're at, even if they're uh, a, a, you know, a, a little tiny person like Inada, she's here, isn't she? She's sleeping. See how easy it is when they're asleep. <laughs> but but even even though the youngest, tiniest child, even a wild and crazy child can be, and I don't say reasoned with because I don't know if that's possible. But you can you can meet them where they're at and at least have some possibility of uh, of getting some kind of uh, balance or you could say equanimity uh, to to start to show up there with with anyone. Some of the most um, um, kind. Uh, and understanding and pleasant people I've ever met, uh, met in prisons. They're locked up because something went awry, something went haywire, and then they find themselves in this place. And, and then because of causes and conditions, we run into each other because we're in there teaching. I think we're going to go in tomorrow morning, right? At what, six o'clock or seven o'clock or something, into a prison up in Ionia. We'll be back in time for the morning service, unless they don't let us out, <laughs> which is possible. Huh? We're going to have breakfast. <laughs> Junzan, did you have a question? Yeah, I just um, was wondering about the situation of, uh, let's say, like a serial killer, somebody who yeah. has this inborn tendency, yeah. as far as what I've heard, it's like being born gay or straight. Yeah. You just have this predilection yeah. towards wanting to kill people. Yes. And, and so what's the question? So have you ever related to a serial killer in that context? And, I, I've met a few killers. A few murderers, but I, I've never met one that, that I, I knew was a serial killer. But, but if I were to meet one, uh, then I'm, I'm not sure what I would do with that particularly. But I, I think they should be, society should be protected. But as far as punishing them, we should 
make sure we're protected from them. Is that what you're asking about? Well, just how do you relate to someone who's got some kind of inborn desire like that? You know, because you were saying that some of the most um, sane and rational, kind people that you've met, yeah. you've met in prison. And mm -hmm. so in the case of someone like that, how would you, well, I don't want to say change them into that or draw them, draw something so, like that out of them, but like, how would you, how would you relate to them? So, well, you know, I can, I can speculate on it, but uh, you know, it's a hypothetical. Uh, I would just say, uh, you know, unlikely that that person is going to come to a class on Buddhism in the prison. But if I were to run into that person and I knew that's what it was, I would just you know, do the best I could to, you know, work with them. Uh, I don't know how that would be. I'd try not to get killed. Um, uh, I would probably call you. <laughs> so, you know, I need somebody big around me to protect me. Uh, but but I, what I'm saying is, it's not the, the the causes and conditions, and that's even an even greater example of someone. We, uh, those of you, uh, if you're around little children, like uh, um, uh, uh, Tayo and Shigets, uh, actually their business is taking care of little tiny children. And we've you've noticed, you certainly have, and we've talked somewhat about some children are just complete little angels, and other others are just uh, verging on demonic. They're so outlandishly crazy and and uh, and aggressive and and so on how do you do you have to meet them where they're at and you have to protect other people you have to protect yourself you have to protect them from themselves and um but it's just an example of uh, of more dependent origination that no, nothing comes from its own side as a solid separate being it's always a, a combination of uh of all the tributaries that run back to the causes and conditions that arise that bring together come together that form a particular person as far as we can tell and there could be, uh, we, we were to go into deep consciousness, we could possibly find out more about that. And when you die, you can check that out because that's where you're headed. Yes. How are, how are causes and conditions different than cause and effect? Uh, well, it's, a, it's just another way of talking about it. We're, we're saying, here's, here's the conditions. Uh, it's, uh, it's daytime. And then the causes are, uh, the, the furnace is on, so we have warmth in the room. Uh, it's winter out. So there's various things that are happening. And so there's a cause and effect happening. Cause and effect tends to break it down into this and that. This happens, so that happens. And that's true. There's something to that. There's something, if you have, uh, if you have grasping, you're going to have some kind of suffering. So we're not saying that cause and effect aren't happening. It's just that they, they complement each other. And to, to do, not to buy into it, that's why you hear me say so often, don't believe it, don't disbelieve it, and don't ignore it or look away from it. If you can do that, then you're actually, then, then consciousness or awareness is primary. And you're, you're, if you want to say, uh, say it this way, you could say you're even closer in that way to understanding uh, 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 or, uh, perception only or consciousness only. It's not that things aren't separated. Sure, there's people here and we have windows and we have trees, we have sky. So things are obviously separated, but to, but to believe that that is the situation is uh, is a mundane uh, orientation towards the world, and it's not that you can't have some successes there, relatively, but relative successes, of course, and failures. But the spiritual path transcends that, so you're actually in the world. You live in the causes and conditions, while your your consciousness is not uh, is not uh, um, tampered with or contaminated by that, and by not being contaminated by it, it's also not separate from it. Very difficult to intellectually or conceptually understand perception only.
once you realize when the perception itself, the consciousness itself is liberated from the concepts, it's also not separate from the concepts. Shoto? Earlier, you were uh, bringing up uh, to look at the sense of self before the I, before the personal pronoun. Um, and you said that the sense of self tends to alternate. What, what does it mean for the sense of self to alternate? I said that. What did I mean? Yeah, what she said. Discontinuous identity. What happens is, a, is a, it, it, we, we have a strong sense of who we are, and then it gets, and then just causes and conditions cause and, and condition our self-centeredness to feel pretty strong and pretty confident, and then pretty weak and pretty uh, helpless, and then pretty strong again. And we blame and credit our environment because that's what's doing that. But what doesn't, what doesn't, uh, what isn't understood is that who you are is not just that movement between success and failure and feeling good and feeling bad and feeling good and feeling bad. So that if you can see that the identity itself is discontinuous, then then there's less likelihood for you to be grasping at the uh, the positive things and refusing the negative things. And to see that there's a uh, we need to not have any warfare with anything if we if we can. And it's difficult because the, the whole world is kind of demanding some kind of something. You need to do something. You should do this, uh, no matter what side of the spectrum you're on. Yes. The question I asked a while back, similar to that, I asked if we can be comfortable with that, and you told me it's not about finding comfort in that. Are we able to find confidence in that? You mean, can you find uh, confidence in suffering? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, you can. The, the problem is that there's someone who suffers, because if you think there's someone who's suffering, then you'll think that that someone can get away from the suffering. But when the suffering arises, you're not separate from the suffering. When the joy arises, you're not separate from the joy. Then there's no self in the skandhas. There's no self in feeling, perception, concept, consciousness. There's no solid being anywhere to be protected, to be advanced. There's just this. Keep coming. Just practice. Don't, don't accept anything. Don't reject anything. Don't ignore anything. Don't believe anything. Don't disbelieve anything. And again, don't ignore. This is, belief is like this. You're looking at what you believe instead of what's in front of you, because what's in front of you is constantly changing until it doesn't. It, it, as long as there's a relative situation going on, that everything is fluctuating and changing. Things are coming and disappearing. It's called uh, the three marks of existence of uh, uh, the teaching of the Buddha. Nothing lasts. All compounded things will vanish. All things that have come together will vanish. It, it sounds like nihilism, but it's not nihilism. It's just the truth. Something it's something will last for a while. And the things that really last a long time, we get all giddy about, like the pyramids. Whoa. Pyramids. Let's go look at them. Why do they have, why is it pointed on top? I'm asking you, Shoto, why is it? <laughs> it's harder to make it in. <laughs> Should have known. That's true. Yes. Mariah from Texas has a question. Yes, Mariah. She asks, how did seeing not separate occur to you? Uh, gradually. So I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it if I didn't have some kind of understanding of it. But it's, a, it's not an accomplishment. It's, not, uh, it's difficult to talk about it uh, using relative terms because it sounds like somebody has gotten somewhere when it's more like somebody has gotten nowhere. The whole, the whole shivang, which is a Sanskrit word for this stuff, <laughs> completely collapses into, I don't know where it goes, but, it's, but the whole construct is like, uh, always using Koban, Kobanchina Roshi's uh, um, translation of the Heart Sutra's uh, 
uh, mantra, gate, gate, paragate, parasam, gate, bodhisattva, gone, 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 beyond, gone, completely beyond, so be it. Falling apart, falling apart, falling apart. I think there was another falling apart in there. And then nothing did it. So it's a, he kind of brings it into current cultural jargon. Nothing to do. What's falling apart? Your ideas about the nature of yourself, the nature of reality, the nature of everything just starts to collapse. This can be terrifying. It might not always be terrifying. It depends on your own structure of me, 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 me and my stuff, me and my ideas, me and my concepts, me and my right, me, where I'm right, where I'm wrong, who's right, who's wrong. And if you're on the spiritual path, at some point, there's going to be, as they say in the Western tradition, a dark night of soul. You like that book, don't you? It's the only thing I'll let him read. Dark night of soul. So, and it's a, uh, it's not that you can't handle it, but it, it's, it's good to take it slow. It's good to... Uh, those people uh, who, those spontaneous realizers who have been, just been hit with a ton of bricks of reality of there's no self. There is no, there is nothing exists. You are not real and your world is not real. It's completely a dream. That can be terrifying if there's a, if there's a, if there's a knot of self-centeredness that thinks it's threatened. There's a knot of self-centeredness called the ego that thinks that it needs to defend itself or protect itself or something. If there's no one there, then then there's just this. But if there's someone there, then that may be threatening. If you've, uh, there's several books uh, uh, that go into that. Uh, U.G. Krishnamurti was one of the, not Jiddu Krishnamurti, but U.G. Uh, he called it the calamity because at one point when he was younger, 56 years ago, he his whole sense of who he was just collapsed into nothing. And he was uh, miserable, terrified. And this has happened to others, a few others. I think, uh, I'm not going to go and name People, there's several out there, though. But so this particular way of approaching this uh, works a little better because at least it's a gradual. You actually sit down and slowly work with uh, meditating and seeing what what is real and what's not real, and you see it yourself. Because uh, if you if you if it's just somebody something you're taught and you just believe it, and then we're right back in the same uh, sawhorse of it's true, it's not true, it's good, it's bad, it's up, it's down, it's black, it's white, it's living, it's dead. So today on the cushion, uh, when I was facing the wall, I could hear the guitar um, in the in white tire room and I can see the irritation arising. And so my question is, is when I see that linear progression of causation, how can I see the not separateness of uh, subject and object? Stop separating yourself from the guitar. Don't try to do some abstraction of it. Just hear the guitar, forget everything else but the guitar. If the guitar is the irritation, then that's what that's what you need to uh, receive. Perception only. Perception, and it's not a guitar. It's not even music. It's just that. If you don't know what it is, then then that's uh, uh, what's that word that I never want to use? Progress. It's like going into a. Uh, we've all experienced a little bit of that. You come into a situation where, similar to that, something is really irritating you, and really, and then there's some kind of a. I don't know if you call it caving in or something, but some kind of, you just you just don't want to fight with it anymore. And you notice that the whole thing just kind of, it's still there, but it's just not a problem anymore. And, and it do, doesn't even, you don't even congratulate yourself. It's like, oh, I'm, this is so successful. Meditation's really working. Might feel flat. More about that? So that's a good example of being, of sitting, med uh, meditating. It should be really quiet. Somebody's playing the damn guitar. I'm trying to, how can I maintain my samadhi? They're not even playing the songs I like. If they played, what's that one song you like? 
making part of your world by a little mermaid. A little mermaid? Yeah. If they're playing that, then it'd be all right. So I'm wondering how you talked about um, it's not music, it's not the guitar, but then it's hard to not be separate from the guitar without shutting down on my irritation. So that's that's your practice then. That would be your, the way you're describing it. That's your practice. Be aware of the guitar and uh, don't shut down in your irritation. You're, you're trying not to be irritated. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you're trying to be some, something else. So what I would say, is say as bluntly as I can, be irritated. Be who you are. That doesn't mean you get up and storm out and go in there and hit the person with the guitar. It doesn't mean you go out and yell at them or you make demands on people to do what you want. You would, because you're a meditator, you're sitting there and you you notice, you you observe and see that you want things to be different than they are. Don't accept it, don't reject it, don't look away. You're just looking at it. You're just noticing the irritation. And if you can, which I know you can, see if you can find out who's irritated. That When you have something that is that crusty right in your emotional uh, um, pathway there, that's a good time to flash on who it is. Who's having this feeling? That Because that's where the uh, uh, both come in. Both the thing that you're experiencing, the phenomena, the irritating thing, and who's irritated. To flash on those at the same time. Yeah. So I've been wondering about attention lately. And that's an example of attention where by focusing on one, it seems like I can't see the other. So um, I'm just wondering, um, I guess my first question would be, what is attention? Focus. And how can I use attention to observe what's arising while including everything? Don't do that. How can I see what's happening out there and see what's happening in here at the same time? Are you saying you can't see that? It seems like when I see my irritation, I stop listening to the guitar. Okay, that's awareness. That's called the path. Just all you have to do is see that. You don't have to accomplish something else. What we tend to do is we tend to see what we're experiencing. We actually see it, and then we want to go somewhere else to get rid of it or leave it, or we want something to develop or get better. Second noble truth of the Buddha, wanting things to be different than they are. So when I'm looking at the subject, how can I see the object at the same time? That's why it's called a practice. So you won't be able to. You, the, the, the initial part of it is a failure. It feels like failure to do that. But do it anyway. Continue to do it. Get yourself to the cushion. Do it as much as you can. That's why we have. That's why I recommend so much sitting meditation. Is it just seems to take a lot to do it. Then what would success look like? No success. Success and failure are cheap. You don't need that. That's what the rest of the world is doing. If you're going to live forever, then success and failure might be come in handy. We can we can we can die any minute. More. Thank you. Why can it be terrifying, or where does the fear come from? If, in a sense, reality isn't changing, it's just your perception of it, or your um, just awakening what actually is. Paraphrase your question and simplify it if you can. Why can it be so terrifying if the only thing changing is your perception of the situation? I don't know. What do you think? That sounds pretty good. Self-centeredness, the self-centered, the very nature of self-centeredness is is thinking, assuming, imputing, imagining that there is someone, and it's it's untrue. There isn't anyone. There's no, nothing is threatened. There's no way you can threaten who 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 we actually are. There's no way you can threaten. It. But if you don't realize that, you can run in terror or run in 
hope and fear, hoping for something and fearing something else all of your life, back and forth. Most of the world is doing this. If you just listen to any news program, it's just difficult to listen to because people are so wound up and they're, and they're, they're it's just difficult. And we, and we can't, as individuals, we can't necessarily go out and just stop that. But what we can do is you can, you can, uh, you can find it here. As I sometimes say, dropped out of the, drop out of the paranoia in our thinking process into your heart, rise up out of the hope and fear in, in your gut into your heart. This doesn't think at all. You don't have to think about anything. If you don't think, if you don't operate out of a thinking, pushing, pulling, I like it, I don't like it, it's good, it's bad, evaluating, uh, elaborating, and explaining, and justifying, and all of, if you don't operate out of that, then there's just this. And then when the thinking process is necessary, it arises as a tool rather than as a, the whole uh, a crime itself. Or what else? I don't know. Okay, well, later. So the basic, the basic idea is to, is to train our minds. Each individual here and here, uh, we need to see what is fundamentally true for ourselves. And it might be kind of a mundane, ordinary thing that you need to look at. Just an ordinary, that's why we start out with just, uh, just look at the wall. Just something very simple. All the senses are open. We're just, just looking at the wall or looking at the floor. And we're just hanging out. Knock it on. When you say perception only, is it the same as awareness? Are you using those? No. Uh, awareness is, uh, is what is the area in which things arise. They come and go, and there's still quite a bit of separation going on there. It could be separate. It may not be. But there won't be, any, there won't be accounting, uh, an accounting situation going on. Whereas perception only is a way of saying that the, the very perception, like seeing this or touching this, that the actual... Uh, perception itself uh, is uh, is not separate, or the the actual object that's being perceived and the subject that is apparently perceiving that are not two different things. They're, they are brought together in that concept of perception only, just just the perception itself. So there isn't anything else to do. There isn't anything that you need. There's no there's no starvation going on. The whole desire thing doesn't work because there isn't anything else. So uh, you could say uh, there was a, I know there's a Tibetan Lama years ago um, that um, uh, his way of expressing it in a very kind of mundane sort of way, uh, perception only, he just kind of went like this and said, all mine, all mine. Is there anything that isn't you or isn't, there's nothing is separate from you. The worst serial killer there is, you're not separate from that person. Not that you're going to do that or you validate or that person, but you're, but... No, you, not to even go into the area of where we're all human beings. I don't mean that. I mean the fundamental situation that transcends uh, the thought process and the, the, the conceptual uh, models that we put in place of reality. Is that the same as saying, I am that? No, saying I am that is saying I am that. And isn't, isn't that awareness, perception only? Is, how is that separate from awareness? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard for to figure out. Probably can't figure it out. Well, you can't have perception only without awareness, right? Is that a trick question? And of course, what you know, what we're playing around with here is, you know, we the concepts are so intense: awareness, perception only. We we can get we can get sucked into the trying to validate that or trying to. Well, is this perception only? Well, you can't have this without awareness because perception only is awareness, and sure, you can do that, but. The original pointing out needs to be perception only, so that you can see. What was the name of the talk? Find both at once. Yeah, find both at once.
So find the perceiver and find what is perceived. See them at the same time. Experience them. See them at the same time. Yes? When you say see them at the same time, do you mean using your eye consciousness or anything? You smell them at the same time. <laughs> or smell one and see the other. <clears throat> or squeeze one and hear the other one. You know, I, I don't think there's a some kind of formula that's going to work. The way it, uh, the way this works for you could could show up uh, totally different than say the way it would work for me or for or for Brit or for anyone else. It might be a different kind of dynamic, but the understanding will not be dissimilar. Not to not non duality advaita. Not to yes. Yeah, it probably will show up. It will start to show up in in some of those. It could come in flashes. Uh, it could it could come all at once and completely knock you out of the saddle. So it could, and it could also come come just be flashes that would come and then leave, and then come and then leave. Go ahead. I guess I'm just wondering how it would show up. Could show up outside the six consciousness. That whole area gets uh, you know as long as we're talking about touch, then we know what that is. Those nerve endings are are definite. So have a little more confidence. Uh, I'll end that as that's touch. We know what that is, and uh, and seeing we kind of know what that is, and hearing is a very but they're a little bit different than each other, of course, and taste and smell. And then when it comes to thinking, that whole area starts to get a little bit uh, less dependable. Uh, it's still there, and it's still uh, it's a it's a good example of uh, of something existing and non-existing at the same time. It's like if I say. Uh, uh, um, Come up with something for me. I just don't have any imagination. Cheesy puffs? How's that? Cheesy puffs are orange, aren't they? Yeah. So imagine a, a cheesy puff the size of this altar. You got it? Okay, now now put uh, cream cheese all over it. Got it? Okay, now try to get rid of that. And the other thing is, is there it is. It's it's there. It, it both exists, and it's a silly example, but it, it seems to work better to do something kind of corny or cheesy. <laughs> and there you have that and yet we've created that I mean I've said it and then you all see it in your minds and whatever uh, whatever level of uh, visual or tactile or your however your imagination is working and everyone will be different I mean so everyone's will, everyone's idea will be slightly different but it's a creation that we've kind of done together and and you can't just you can't even destroy it uh, 30 years from now, if you're still here, you could actually remember that and it would still be there. It would not have decayed at all. So so what does that have to do with impermanence? Was that created or was that always there? That whole area is, is, is a, a good area to look at, especially when you're looking at your own thought patterns, of, especially the thought patterns that are really giving you a hard time, those of, sh of blame or shame or any of those emotional things that are so heartbreaking to deal with sometimes, is to look how, how that cheesy puff has no, it doesn't exist in a, in a in conventional space, but it has, what kind of space is that that's taking up in, in our minds? And there's no time there. There's no past and there's no future there, yet it, it, it non-exists. This is what the, in the creation completion practices of, uh, of Tibetan Buddhism, this is what they're dealing with, the visualization and creation completion. They visualize deities uh, that are supposed to represent your wisdom mind, and then they then, then they, I say they or you or whoever is doing it, then you dissolve that. And then you create it again, you dissolve it. And that whole idea of creation completion uh, re, um, um, re establishes or re, uh, uh, reorganizes our whole way of perceiving phenomena. That's what that's about. Uh, unless some lama comes along and tells you that I was wrong, in which case 
the line was right. Yes. I mean, Hope Pio is in my, um, and I don't remember all of it, but the thing that stood out today during forms practice mm -hmm. was when the acquiescent mind realizes itself. Yes. And I'm wondering what the acquiescent mind is. Just this. Mind doesn't belong to anyone. It feels like we're having our own thoughts and everything, but it doesn't, doesn't belong to There isn't anyone, so it can't belong to anyone. If, just because there's a body-mind here and one here that came into existence, uh, in my case, you know, a long time ago, in your case, not so long ago, that, that this, there's a separation there, uh, but the fundamental nature of the mind is not separate. So it's not like I'm going to be able to read your thoughts or you're going to read mine, but not far away from that. Sometimes we tend to pick up a lot from other people. And some people are more sensitive than others. Just the people I've worked with in, here in doing uh, uh, deep consciousness work, some people are extremely sensitive to deeper levels of, of uh, consciousness that don't seem to belong to anyone. Um, what does it mean for the acquiescent mind to realize itself? That's uh, another, another way it's said in there is the host within the host. I think that's the last line. It's, the, it's that, but it's it's inside of that. We have to use some kind of a relative way of saying it, uh, or we can't, we might as well zip it. So we have to say something that makes sense on some level, but then doesn't fundamentally make sense, so that we can approach that which transcends uh, this uh, phenomenal uh, situation, or the, the, this, this apparent uh, temporary solidity of things, just like with the cheesy pop. I'm just really confused how just this can see just this. Good. <laughs> yeah. That's progress. Did I say that? Lower, lowercase b. Lowercase. Yeah. Yeah. To say I'm confused about how this can see, you, you realize how many people there are that would never even be able to even approach that or even make that statement? So making that statement is take that to the cushion, take that to your awareness practice when you're and, and look at that. Look deeply into that. How how this? What was it you said? How justice can see justice. Yes, yeah, it's a good one. That's that's your own personal koan. You just invented it. And when you find out, come back and tell me what it is. Now let you know whether you're right or not. <laughs> <laughs> I won't have any idea myself. Yes. Uh, another question from Mariah. Yes. She asks: Are the thoughts that arise from day to day a result of our karma? Yes, and not to just. Uh, you know, discounted, well, that's just your karma. I'm not saying that. I'm saying karma is a Sanskrit word that means uh, action. So this, you know, this moving through space runs into something, makes and creates something else, a sound. Uh, so the whole causes, all of the causes and conditions are extremely complicated. I keep using the same uh, metaphor over and over again. I'd probably get tired of hearing it. If you are really tired of hearing it, then give me another one. I'll use yours. But mine is the, the, the mouth of the Amazon is one thing. It's the mouth of the Amazon. So it's one. What is it? It's the mouth of the Amazon. Any, if you say something, everybody will know what that is. Everybody could go to a map and find the Amazon uh, if you knew what continent it was in. And uh, is that funny? You find that, and then you realize that the only way that can be what it is is through just countless numbers of tributaries all coming in. So that's a good metaphor for you're here, I'm here. We're here, and we have a. We look a certain way in the mirror, and we we have a certain disposition. We have a uh, our health is a certain kind of combinations of things, and or, or our our uh, thinking process, and our our hopes and fears, and our ability to even be uh, uh, be so well favored to even come into an environment like this where somebody is talking about the ultimate nature of the world. 
actually endeavoring, <coughs> so far as I'm able, to point to the ultimate situation rather than just right and wrong and successful and not successful. It's, it's very unusual. So free and well favored. But the way that comes about is through countless, countless uh, tributaries are coming together, coming together and to, before you're even here until then you, you appear and you're born and then you live your life. And look how many things had to go exactly, perfectly right for you to even show up in this room. You take out one of those... Uh, one of those uh, elements, and you might have, you know, you might be in Australia because you bought into the kangaroo business. I get, did I get the continent right? <laughs> <laughs> Kangaroos. Australia, right? Yeah. So, causes and conditions. And I often say, and I'm saying again, go look in the mirror and look, look at your nose, look at your eyes, look at the sh how you are, how you look and say, you know, you had nothing to do, you, you know, your ego mind or your self-centered mind or you, your me feeling, I feeling, you had nothing to do with this. If we had something to do, we might have decided to be born in, uh, in, uh, in another galaxy or not even be born or be born into a, a completely pure realm that has no passion, aggression, and ignorance. You say, is there such a thing? I don't know. Find out. Of course, you didn't say that. So, yes, sir. Do you have thoughts on what to do when we're overwhelmed by what we Yes, I do. Uh, and it would depend, it, it would be if if 10 people all came and asked me the same thing, I would meet them where they're at insofar as I'm able, and I might give different responses to different people. If someone's been meditating for uh, years and years and has done a lot of practice, I would say, so? But if it's somebody who was just start, start, starting on that, I probably would talk about uh, the ASAP, practice, uh, alternating sense awareness, where you, where if it's really intense and you feel like you're going to blow your cork, uh, you, you, you can modify, you can soften up the thinking process, the emotional process that's trying to, you know, tie you in knots by just taking some of that energy, some of that awareness energy that gets all uh, uh, balled up in those uh, emotions, passion, aggression, ignorance, and, and put it on how this feels, how this smells. How this looks. Go to the sense of color. Sense of color doesn't think at all. We just perceive color. It's, it, it, it puts you into perception only. It gives you the opportunity to see that things are just how they look. My, my, uh, my go-to is always uh, sight, visual. Someone else, it might be sound. You know, We've talked a little bit about that with uh, Chazan. He's more sound-oriented than sight. So, and I'm not saying you need to go into just one, but you could you could use a couple of the senses to see that there's lots of things happening that aren't just your your uh, uh, area of being overwhelmed. That being said, there are times when it's so intense that the overwhelm starts to f show up in all those other ones. In that case, you better see if somebody slipped you a Mickey. <laughs> you know what a Mickey is. So I think you know, but but you know, if you're if you take any kind of uh, uh, psychedelics or anything like that, then then those areas get kind of wishy-washy. Yes, sir? Um, kind of going off what Andrew said, I was in the kitchen the other day, I had a situation that came up where um, well, I think it was vinegar and it, it triggered some similar uh, situations like with my drug use in the past and I, I had to leave the room. Mm -hmm. um, is mm -hmm. leaving shutting down? No, no, you should, you should uh, uh, give yourself the benefit of the doubt, you know, you, uh, trying to control or trying to manipulate or, or, or second-guess yourself, oh, I think I'm just being ignoring, or is that... Some people say, well, is this, I'm doing this and this, is that ego? I don't care if it's ego or not. 
If you even ask the question, that means you already have enough awareness there that you're not taking anything for granted. If you're asking that question, but you don't really need an answer to it. You just need to have that kind of insight that's, that's not taking anything for granted, looking at things. And, uh, and so that situation would be, no, you should leave. Just like if, if someone is uh, attacking you or giving you a really hard time, uh, you know, you can be polite. You can just say, I'm sorry, I just have to leave. I have to go do something else. Uh, lie. You don't often hear Zen monks tell you to do that. Uh, lie. Say, I have something else I have to do. You may have to kill somebody. Not them. <laughs> But you know, you just say, "I need to. I need to do. I've got something else I've got to get to," because it's it's all dependently arisen. So it's about awareness. It's not about living up to some kind of ideal of being some kind of an angel. You know, that would be that's a tall order. If you start to try to be an angel, then you you start to ignore all the people that need your help. Is it helpful to try to stay with that longer? You could, and there there again, it would be dependently arisen. It would be your own practice. Uh, if you you spend a lot of time on the cushion and you. You know, then you probably are able to do that more. But if you're, if you're, if you ha don't ha haven't had a lot of mind training, it might be more challenging. It might cause more warfare to do that. So there again, I would, uh, as a, as a teacher, I would trust you or anyone here to trust yourself first. More, William. Does meditation change karma at all? Meditation practice, uh, just to say it generically, that training your mind—that was the way I would say it. Uh, and it takes a lot more than just sitting down. Someone can just meditate on their own, and if they don't have guidance, I'm not saying they couldn't have the kind of karma where they could, you know, become the Buddha. But even the Buddha had a couple of teachers. So, um, so it it what it does is it it brings awareness into the the karmic uh, cause and, uh, causes and conditions that arise as uh, the ones that are already the case. So the color of your hair, the shape of your uh, ears, and your present incarnation. That's uh, karma coming out of the past. But then what you do with that tends to create more. If you fight with your life, if you go to war with your, your emotions or your neighbors uh, or your, your relatives or your co-workers or anyone, then that's going to just keep that whole thing stirred up all the time, uh, can continuously going around and around. But if there's, a, if there's an awareness practice, then it's possible to, uh, as a give an inch to see that you're maybe being threatened, maybe you're being treated unfairly, but you could just, uh, as I've ta talked to inmates in prisons, sometimes when that comes up and they're, they're, in, a, they're in, a, uh, in a big box, a hell realm, where they can't get out of there, and they're trying to practice Buddhism, and they're locked up with a bunch of people who are um, aggressive and, and pretty dangerous sometimes. I have uh, I've had inmates ask me, how do, how do, what do I do? I'm, I can't leave, I can't, I can't go home. I'm here, and I've got to be here, and I've got somebody threatening me. And I say, don't, uh, uh, don't leave, uh, don't advance, and don't, don't shut down, don't look away. Uh, very simply, if somebody's threatening you and they're looking right at you, just drop your gaze. Very simple, just to drop your gaze. Don't drop your head. Don't give up, but just drop your gaze. Because eye contact is, uh, if somebody's being aggressive and you return eye contact, you know, I don't think I need to explain that, uh, especially to you dog owners. So dogs know, animals know. Further questions? Thank you very much.